0: Hello, Bethel fandom. It is I, your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and Twitter and many other places. It has been a fuck of a long time. I actually just checked, and I have not done a reading episode since January. Fuck you guys, I'm really sorry. I mean, shit happens. Uh, You've all been pretty understanding about it, and yeah, but I really wanted to get back into it. However, I'm switching up the format a bit. some of it is that I think that what I am doing will make it a little bit more streamlined, a little bit easier maybe to keep doing this more frequently. I don't know, we'll just have to see. But another reason why I'm doing it is that I think I kind of just need to switch things up a little. I, I need to need to do some different stuff. Um, I am continuing with The Rambling Dead. I know I took a very long break from that, but that is not done. I am absolutely continuing with that, and in fact, I have some exciting surprises about how that's going to continue when we get into season two that I'm very excited to reveal to you, uh, but but that that will happen in due time. In the meantime, I'm, I'm, like I said, getting back into the reading episodes. What I'm going to be doing with those that is different is rather than doing two or three bits of a, of two or three fics, I'm going to start doing what I've done in the past and devoting episodes, whole episodes, to just one fix, uh, and just, just having it be like a series of episodes of one story, so this episode is going to be all safe up here with you, and then I will be doing a separate episode that's all Burn, because we are absolutely going to finish what there is of Burn. And you know, there might never be any more burn, but what we've got is great. So I'm gonna go ahead and do that until the end of what there is. And then after that, I will pick another fic, another multi-chapter to launch into and do episodes just based on that one fic. And I will do probably multiple chapters in one episode when I can. Like for example, this episode is chapter 10 and 11 of Safe Up Here With You. And then the next one of these I do will probably be the rest of the fic, including the epilogue and then the end. I'm, I'm not, I'm still not 100% sure what I'm going to be doing after this and after Burn. I am considering launching into the good stars. Uh, I mean, I always feel a little bit self-important reading my own fic, but a lot of you really seem to un- to, to like that fic a lot. And I like it too, and, and I'm enjoying writing it. So I may jump into that. Um, if I really fucking hate myself, I may do how. The benefit of Howl is that uh, it's ongoing and it's over 400,000 words, so uh, God knows if I would even finish reading it, let alone, you know, run up against, oh no, there's no more Howl to read, I have to read, I have to write more Howl. That's obviously not going to be a problem. Um, I have no plans as of right now to do I'll Be Yours for a Song, and I'll tell you why. That fic is so important to me. That it's like I don't really want to do it until I have a solid plan for making it as good as I possibly can. Like I, I have very high standards for my productions in, in this stuff, and I don't release episodes unless I am, you know, pretty much 100% happy with them. But like, I, like I said, um I'll be yours for a song is just super important to me, you guys, and and I, I don't feel ready to launch into that. I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm just saying I have no immediate plans for it. Let me know if that's something that you want though, because uh, I mean, to be frank, a lot of what determines what I do right now, given how, much, how many other projects I've got, a lot of what determines what I do is what there seems to be an audience for. So uh, let me know if you do want that. Again, that doesn't mean I'll do it, but let me know if that's something that you want. And uh, let me know if there's anything else that you really desperately want me to read. I've gotten some good recommendations for one-shots, and that's the other thing. Uh, these these uh, episodes, something I've done in the past is one-shot episodes. Uh, and I absolutely want to do that again. Um, there's, I think there's something very satisfying about a single one-shot episode. Uh, I think for some people it's a lot easier to follow than putting in the commitment that keeping up with a multi-chapter series is. Uh, so I kind of want to have something for everybody. So I'm, I'm definitely going to jump back into one-shots, and I've gotten some good recommendations for ones to read. I've, I've got a I've got a list. I've got a series of bookmarks that, um, you know, I'll, I'll try and dig into. But yeah, I'm 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 switching up the format, and I, I think it's going to be good. I I have a good feeling about it. Um, I'm I'm just you guys. I'm just super glad that I'm still doing this, uh, even if I'm not doing it as frequently as I would like, and even if I'm, there's long gaps between episodes. Uh, I don't even hang on. Let me actually check. You guys, I have technically been doing this since November 25th, 2014. Now that's hedging a little, because that was If the Stars Are Eternal, So Are You and I. And that was just a kind of one-off, I like reading, so I'll do it this time, before I actually thought this maybe would be a podcast with regular episodes. So if we're going by that, because there were a bunch of one-shots before then, episode one, which was sort of a howl AMA, that was November... 11th, 2015. So I've been... Fuck, you guys. I've been doing this for over, like... Oh, God. I can't math in my head, even, basically. But I've been doing this for over two years? That is a better run than, like, most podcasts get. That's fucking great. I'm, I'm so happy. And thank you all so much for your support. It means a lot to me. Uh, it's... Yeah. It's... I just... Thank you guys so much. Um, hope- I have no plans to stop doing this. Hopefully I'll be able to keep doing it. Uh, real quick, if you do want to keep supporting the podcast in, like, material ways, there's two primary ways you can do that. First of all, like, reblog shit. Uh, word of mouth is pretty much how people find this there's, you know, I don't like advertise, so there's really like no other way, and more listeners is good. It helps me keep this going, and if you want to kind of help support me in a slightly more monetary way, you can go to patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry, and just check out some of the rewards I've got. Maybe give me a couple bucks a month. Uh, I try to keep up with giving people content that way, and there's all kinds of stuff. It's not just fic, Um, but if you like my pro stuff, if you like My other podcast, Gone, you know, it's just a a cool way to get access to some extra stuff. But yeah, uh, thank you guys so much. This has been so great. Okay, I'm going to shut up and we're going to go ahead and get into it. This is, like I said, chapters 10 and 11 of Safe Up Here With You. Oh, and just a quick warning. I mean, if you know Safe Up Here With You, if you've been following along with it up until now, or if you've read it before, you know it's fucked up like there's there's content warnings all over the place but this this chapter is probably the worst chapter 10 and some of chapter 11 are probably the worst and the most fucked up um there's like some sexual fucked upness it's i don't know that i would even call it dubcon it's it's just, it's, yeah, it's fucked up, and and there's violence very much mixed in with the sex. It's, it's sex and there really is no line between sex and violence in this chapter, in chapter ten and chapter eleven. So, it, yeah, it's just, just beware. This, this, this is where it really does become horror. This is, this is now a psychological horror story at this point. Um, it gets better, and you know, the next episode it'll get better. But yeah, this, this episode is just nothing but fucked up and really angry. So yeah, I uh, hope you enjoy it. See you on the flip side. Safe up here with you. Chapter 10, a slap back to the face for a sin he can't erase. Eyes open in the gray, not dawn yet the liminal color period between dark and what dawn eventually becomes. He lies there for a while and stares at the ceiling, feeling himself breathe, feeling the thrum of the blood between his ears, the steady thump of his own heart. He feels things. He doesn't hear them. There's nothing to hear. The house is silent, but it's more than just an ambient absence of sound. It's deeper than that. There's no sound at all. None. And that gray is all-pervading. There's no color. Everything has been bled out of the world except what his skin can tell him. Warmth next to him, but emptiness. Absence there, too. The place where she was. He turns on to his side and looks at it for a while, the depression left by her body on the mattress and the pillow. Perfect, complete, as if she didn't get up but was lifted bodily into the air. It's early, even for her early for her to be throwing her pretty things down, watching them destroyed. He lays a hand in the center of the outline she left, feels the warmth soaked into the sheets. She was just here. She can't have been gone for more than a couple of minutes. But he didn't feel her get up. He's been a light sleeper longer than he hasn't, but he didn't feel her leaving him. He sits up, leans over his bent knees, stares at the silent gray room. The wall of a window, the low, flat clouds outside. The edges of trees, distant ridges. Her bed, empty. A long, black smear across the floor. He looks at it, head slightly cocked. Looks at it for a while. It doesn't add up. It wasn't there before. It wasn't there last night when she tried to bleed herself out, when he stuck a needle in her, when he stripped her in front of the fire, when he touched her in a way he had no fucking business touching her no matter what he was intending to do when he put her to bed and thought about what a piece of shit he is and how deeply and profoundly he's fucked them both, about how hoping for anything at all right now feels like the worst kind of joke. But maybe it was there later, when she came to him, because it was so dark then and he barely even saw her inches away from him. She was only a faint blur when she fell into his lap and kissed him and begged him to fuck her, because she did. She did that. And he almost gave her what she was asking him for. Maybe something happened before that. Or after. He thinks about all of this with cool, blessed detachment. They're facts. There's no point in pretending they aren't. There's no fucking point in pretending anything at all anymore. So that smear is there, beginning at the foot of the mattress and extending into the gray, swinging around the wall toward the stairs up to the second level, and also the foyer in the front door. It's a trail, isn't it? Yes, it is. Something was dragged. You're a tracker. You can track. Yes, he can. He pushes to his feet, and it's easy. He should be sore from fighting with her, and he should be hung over from the wine, and he isn't either of those things. He feels utterly awake, perception a knife edge, every shadow and every line starkly clear in spite of the desaturation of the world. Because of it, even animal vision predator. He steps to the side of the smear and slowly, bizarrely slowly, as if he's walking through water rather than air, he begins to follow it. It's blood. He knows this, and he knows it without having to bend and touch it, smell, taste. It's blood, and it's very fresh, still wet and dully shining, and there's a lot of it. But not coming fast, whatever it was. No puddles or pools, no splatters. Just an easy, gradual bleed, little by little as it was pulled along pulled by something or someone struggling. The trail is uneven. It wobbles, stutters. There were pauses, weariness or pain or some combination of the two. Either the dragger was weak or the draggee was heavy. Or again, both. He's at the foot of the stairs, soft clocking of something hard on wood. He pauses, turns, the dim bulbous shape of the hind quarters of a deer moving down the hall and out of sight. Its gait is uneven, So is its sound. It's limping. That's strange. But the smear is much more interesting, and it leads through the cavernous foyer into the front door. So he has to go, of course. There's really nothing else he can do. What, go back to bed? Seriously? Go fix himself an early breakfast? Go sit out on the deck and drink some more? Go swallow a whole fucking handful of Xanax while he's taking care of that little job? Go stare at his own fucking face in the bathroom mirror and try to figure out if there's any remaining way in which he can even kind of justify his own existence. Are any of those better options? But he stops at the door, frowning at its heavy, dark wood. It's partially open, ajar. When is a door not a door? All the fucking time, because nothing is the way it's supposed to be. Should he have his knife? His bow? The gun? anything? Should he be at all concerned about this, about what might be on the other side of this door that could be responsible for the trail of blood he's been following? Because he's not, is the thing. He's not concerned in the least. He's merely curious in a dim, flat kind of way. Behind him, the quietly uneven impact of the hooves of a lame deer swells, passes, fades into the ether. He steps through the door. Still gray outside, but brighter, and it's almost possible to make out red in the streaks of blood. A satisfying thing, even the hint of it, after all that grayscale. He feels good about it, purposefully smudging a line of it with his toe and drawing an outward spike. Feels good about its clarity, about how easy it is to follow, about how he feels reasonably certain that he's nearing the end. Then he lifts his head and his gaze together, and all the goodness hisses away into nothing, and the cold numbness returns because his mind is trying to protect itself. He knows that. He's extremely cognizant of that fact. Again, no point in pretending. At the end of the trail, she's there on the ground. Or He's pretty sure it's her. He can't see a whole lot of her, but he can catch glimpses of pale hair gone bone white in the gray, spilling all around her and clotting in the blood pooling under her. Her arms are spread limp at her sides, her head lolling back and she's twitching a little, or he thinks she is, but it's hard to be positive with the way her body jerks in a rough, stuttering rhythm, in time with a form over her, obscuring her, and bathing her in shadow, on top of her, and between her spread legs, and thrusting roughly into her, rutting against her, panting, a grating, inhuman sound, so loud, billowing into the air like black smoke. He can't see its face, dark hair hanging, hiding it. He stands, watching, considering, wondering if he should do something, if there's anything he can do, what he would do if he did. The thing on her plunges its head down and in, and he shouldn't be able to see gleaming flashes of ruby garnet teeth, but he does, and he sees them sink into her throat and its head rip sideways, the flesh there already torn, already pumping blood in slow wells and in time with everything else. Chunk of skin and meat lengthening into a strip for tearing loose and dangling, swinging. He finally sees her face, as the thing fucking her and feeding on her raises its head and reveals her. Her features twisted into a grimace that he can't mistake for anything but deep, pounding pleasure, as more blood streams from her nose and mouth. But he only sees that for a second, because the thing turns to look at him, doesn't miss a beat, and of course it's his own face, and of course he's chewing. Of course he's splitting his mouth in a bloody smile. He got what he wanted. eyes open in the gray. He lies there and stares up at the ceiling and takes some inventory. He's not gasping. His heart isn't pounding and he's not shaking. He feels no trace of panic whatsoever. He feels no sense of overwhelming horror, though he knows he should. Any sane person would. But those rules don't apply up here. He left them down there. Maybe he left them in Atlanta at the first moment this idea was conceived. Now he's seen what he saw, and there's no unseeing it, and there's no escaping what he knows. Warm, empty depression in bed beside him. She's gone. But it's lighter gray outside and in, the liminal morning period almost passed through and the dawn arrived. And he knows she's alive and she's out there on the deck. And when he sits up and sees no bloody smear on the floor, he knows it on an even deeper level. He knows a lot of things now. He gets up. It's quiet but not silent, and very faintly he can hear the waking calls of birds and the hiss and whisper of trees. When he walks across the floor, a couple of boards creak under his bare feet. He glances behind him and sees a line of bloody footprints. Then he blinks and they aren't there anymore. There's nothing surprising about that. He knows what he knows. He knows what he has to do. They get warnings. He goes to the window, goes to the side that faces the deck, and watches her for a little while, awake. No sign of the sedative he pumped her full of, that should still be laying her out until mid-morning at least. Like always, her hair is flying, her loose shirt is clinging tight to her when the wind pushes and tugs at it. He's not at all astonished to see that she's holding the secret garden in her hands, and when she lifts herself up on her toes to watch it fall and sends her journal after it, she's smiling. Tiny, but it's there, and it occurs to him that he would still do anything to keep seeing that smile, commit any number of sins, any number of horrific and unforgivable acts, that he's that far gone and he could slide further still, that, looking at her now, he sees the graceful line of her throat, and he thinks about closing his teeth on the softness of the juncture of it and her delicate shoulder. He would be careful with her. He would. He closes his eyes, hand pressed against the glass. When he does what he has to do, he has no idea how she's going to respond. It doesn't matter. Yesterday he was still pretending. He was still trying to run away from it even as he did what he did to her, but he can't do that anymore. What's inside him, what he sees when he looks at her, what she sees when she looks at him, what they both want, what they might do. She's no longer so mysterious to him. He's gone down to meet her. So close to her now. Just like he wanted He turns away from her and goes to start the day. He waits until after she's eaten, after she's settled into herself a bit, waits a couple of hours. Without comment and without either hiding it or making a big deal of it, he's starting to accumulate things, pull things together, preparing. They might have to move fast, or he might have to. He has no way of being certain. They get warnings. They don't get many. He knows things now, and one of the things he knows is that they're out of them. They're out of time. He gets her out of here now, or something is going to happen and he won't be able to stop it. He won't be able to stop her. He won't be able to stop himself. She'll find a way. So will he. She's sitting on her bed and staring out the window. Outside, the clouds are thickening and lowering, and even looking at them is like smelling rain. It's going to storm and it's going to storm hard and they're going to be traveling straight into it like the whole world is set on keeping them here or at least making escape difficult. That idea isn't nearly so ridiculous as once it would have been. He walks over to her, stands behind her. We're leaving. She doesn't turn, but she stiffens. He sees it, a twitch intense of her shoulders, her back, her neck. Her hands were relaxed in her lap other fists. He's not worried, not afraid, but he's tightening too, lowering his center of gravity, ready for her to go at herself or to come at him, because he already knew there was a better than average chance that she would. Why? Fuck knows. Everything he does now apparently has a better than average chance of causing her to attempt to do harm to him or herself or both. When? Her tone is very even, very calm. That might or might not Be a good thing. As soon as I finish getting our shit together. Can I bring the book? Book's gone. You threw it over the edge. Oh, she murmurs. Right. And nothing else. Gradually she loosens again. So he turns away and goes back to packing. Not much else to pack. Some food. They'll have to travel light, but they can forage. He knows quick ways north, which roads are impassable and should be avoided. He can ride for hours upon hours without stopping, without sleep. He'll tie her onto the goddamn bike if he has to. There's a wonderful degree of freedom in no longer giving a fuck. But he does give a fuck when he's crouched over his bed, stuffing clothes into his pack, and hot agony explodes into his injured shoulder. Yes, he does care about that. At first he has no idea what it is, he just knows the pain and he snarls like a hurt animal, starts to whirl, snarls into a yell when a second explosion goes off, bright at the edges of his vision, warm wetness streaming down his back and side. He throws his weight backward and collides with something that exhales sharply and disappears. And when he finally does turn, arms swinging, she's there and sprawled on the floor, her bloody knife in her hand and her face flushed and twisted with rage. And he can't tell if everything is going gray because he's bleeding too much or if it's just the light itself, all the color gone out of the world and back into his dreams. Everything, his dreams. This was all one big fucking lie of a dream. He never got her back. Never even had the illusion of it. Not when it's all done, never will. He lurches to his feet, looming over her and breathing hard, almost snorting like a bull. His arm is a bar of bright singing pain and he's having trouble lifting it, moving it at all. It took the brunt of her stabs and maybe she ripped something in it, probably she did, and she'll take out his other one if she can. You can see it in her wild, mad eyes. She'll take him out. He knew this moment was coming. but something else he knew and he ran out of time. They didn't get out fast enough, so here it is. You're leaving me, she breathes, shoving herself backward on her hands, knuckles white as she grips the knife's handle, lifts it. You fucker, you're leaving me. You said you wouldn't. Ain't, I ain't leaving. Jaw clenched, blood hot on his back, feeling his one good hand hooking into claws, and as he advances on her, he can see it, the back of her head exploding, and he tastes her blood on his lips. You're coming with me. I can't. We can't. We can't leave. She makes it to her feet, still backing up, but her eyes are cold blue fire and utterly devoid of fear. This is the only place we can be. Thunder. Rumble, then a crack that rips the air apart and light spikes out of the sky and she lunges just as he does, blade like a shard of lightning as it slices through the air and toward him. And as he collides with her and hurls her back at the same time as he drags her against him, she slashes at his throat and he turns it aside and catches it in his shoulder again. His upper arm grunts and feels the blade hit bone. She's cutting him to pieces, blood dripping from his fingers, spattering the couch and the glass top of the coffee table as he jerks them around and his arm whips loose through the air. He has her wrist wrenching and feeling the bones grind, crunch, and her agonized howl means absolutely nothing to him as the knife tumbles from her fingers and clatters across the floor. She barely seems to notice, she's clawing his cheeks, his eyes, screeching like a cat, that he's leaving her, that he always would, he always does, that she hates him, she'll kill him, and his mind hacks it all into a blur of awful fragments as he twists her arm and throws her what seems like halfway across the room. He knew he would have to break her. In the end, he was just wrong about how and why. Fuck you, she's screaming, thrashing, rolling onto her hands and knees and trying to shove herself to her feet. Fuck you, you're leaving me, you fucking bastard. You lying fucking bastard, you son of a bitch, you're leaving. Hurtling toward the knife, ignoring a wrist that he very possibly just snapped, hand extended for it with her teeth gleaming in another lightning strike and he gets to it before she does and kicks it away, spinning toward the fireplace and well out of her reach. Blood everywhere. Her cunt was dripping it onto the stones, pumping it out of her when she fucked herself. He spilled it all over her belly and thighs in his hand when he came. She drank his and he drank hers when they fed on each other. It's all blood, always been blood, from the moment the bullet burst her head open and painted his lips with it to this moment now, when she's trying to bleed him dry and he'll take her apart to make her stop. He will. With certainty as dry and lifeless as the hardest desert, he knows he will. But he can't. He can't give up. He can't, aching with it, hurting so much under his cold fury. He can't. He has to try, and he's reaching for her with his good hand as he comes for her, pleading. Beth, stop. Fuck you, she hisses again, launching herself past him and toward the kitchen. And he knows why. The last of the part of him that resisted the dead ice is swallowed in that moment. He hid it as well as he could, but she found it anyway. Of course, of course. How long has she known about it? How long did she let him believe she didn't? How long did she leave it there, waiting for this? She's insane, but she's crafty, cunning, more perhaps because of her madness, and he should have trusted her about as much as he would trust a snake. A viper, something that will only strike and bite in the end because it's simply their nature. He follows her, ripping his way through the air like the knife itself, trailing blood with more of it stinging in his eyes, feet pounding the floor like the thunder, and as he charges into the pantry, she's on her knees, the pack open in front of her and the gun in her hands. She's turning on him. She doesn't make it. A wine bottle has magically appeared in his grip, and it hits the back of her head with a weirdly musical thud, and she drops like she did then. Before. Drops like a sack of bricks. She falls, and he watches her blood pool beneath her slightly curled fingers. He can't carry her, so he drags her back into the main room. And at some point he turns and looks behind them at the long, stuttering, gently curving red smear they've left, his blood and hers together, and all he feels is tired. We get warnings. We only get so many. Neither of them is bleeding in a way that appears to be life threatening. Both of them are bleeding a lot. Her wrist doesn't seem to actually be broken, at least not badly. Fractured, possibly. Sprained, definitely. Fresh bruises. He checks the back of her head, her skull seems intact. He notes this with only the most distant interest and drops her onto the sofa, and as she continues to bleed onto its pristine pale fabric in a sluggish ooze, he goes back to the kitchen, retrieves the pack, and brings it to her, removes the rope. It's easy to tie her wrists and ankles, even with one good hand in his teeth. She's a rag doll. She's like she was when he lifted her and carried her down five fucking flights of stairs. He wipes his bloody face and wraps his arm up as best he can. He can move it, a little, just a little. The blood is slowing and he's only moderately dizzy. He sits down in the chair opposite the couch and spreads the remaining doses of sedative out on the coffee table. The pills. The Xanax and Clonopin he picked up in town. He dry swallows three Xanax and goes back to his dull staring. At his chemical arsenal. At her, her head lolled back and her mouth slightly open. Outside, the clouds churn and wind slams against the house the rain sounds like hail. Could be it is. There's enough sedative here to kill her. That's an option. There's nothing overwrought about it, nothing melodramatic. It's very practical. It would probably be painless. She might never regain consciousness at all. He could administer that final dose, that honey-colored sleep. And then for himself, there's the gun. It takes him a few minutes of numb meditation to realize that in that scenario, she turns. She gets to. That's how she would see it now. She gets to turn. Well, yeah, she gets what she wants. And there's also just the gun. Just that. Very simple. Simpler than the drugs and just as painless. He picks it up and studies it. Take care of her and then himself, the work of seconds. And then comes the revelation that he's sitting here across from the girl. He would have done anything, given anything, to get back. And he's genuinely, calmly, contemplating the various methods with which he could carry out an effective murder suicide. And the fact doesn't hit him so much as wash smoothly over and through. It follows. It just. it feels like he was always headed here. It doesn't feel like murder suicide, it doesn't feel that dramatic. It feels like putting a couple of hopelessly sick animals out of their misery. Intensely rational. Entirely merciful. Because he sure as fuck can't take her home now, and he sure as fuck can't go home without her. And he doesn't even know what home is anymore. He never did. Once, he thought maybe home was her. He gets up, walks over to her. He watches himself with dim fascination as he lifts the gun and presses its muzzle against the starburst scar on her forehead. It stays like that for a few moments. Lowers it and goes back and sits again and sets the gun down on the coffee table with the rest of his options. He could, of course, do nothing at all. That's the one he goes with. It seems easiest. And he's so... So tired. It's beginning to get dark when she finally stirs. He watches her, blank. In fact, he's not sure if the darkness is due to the time or to thicker cloud. The rain has definitely turned to hail, not large pieces but relentless, rattling against the roof and windows, monotonously deafening but faded sufficiently into the background to mostly slip free from his attention. She stirs. Groans, turns her head against the bloodstained back of the sofa. Flutters her eyelids. It could very well be that he's damaged her already damaged brain even further. Well, sooner or later, he'll know. A little while longer. Then she lifts her head, groaning again and squeezing her closed eyelids. Features twisting with pain. There's something intelligent about that expression, something processing... And when at last she opens her eyes, there's even sharper intelligence present in them. Clearer. She might be concussed, might have a plethora of other things very, very wrong with her, but she's still here. She's focused on him. She's focused on him like a bolt flying. He looks back at her, hunched, hands dangling between his knees. And something in him is cracking open, seems appearing all over its surface and beginning to spread. Something reeking and rotten and awful is spilling out, pus like, infected and left to fester for a long, long time. Like I'm the one leaving you, he whispers. That's fucking hilarious. You know that? She blinks, gives no other sign that she heard him at all. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care about a reaction, doesn't give a fuck, not even remotely. He has no more of them left to give. He's just talking, low and sharp and harsh, syllables like bullets between his clenched teeth. And he's aware of a cold, swelling rage rising from somewhere in his gut, a place he had no idea was even there. Smeared with that pus, stinking, seething. You holding some kind of grudge? You punishing me for something? Is that what this is? Jaw clenched tighter, his teeth grinding. I tried. I fucking tried, don't you? dare tell me I didn't fucking try. I ran all night for you. All night. Ain't my fault. It... She's blinking again. Slowly. Owl-like. Her face impassive. But those eyes. Just watching him. Silent. Taking him in. He hates it. Hates looking at it. Her fucking face. How she doesn't even care. How she did this. And he hates her. And his lips peel back in something between a snarl and a sneer. Don't you fucking look at me like that nothing. That hard, flat gaze. Like how for a while she was going away, blanking out. Seems like years ago now. Except she hasn't gone anywhere, and she understands everything he's saying to her. Every goddamn fucking thing. Every spiteful, poisoned word. He hauls himself to his feet, ignores the muffled shriek of his arm, stalks toward her. To the side. Back. Hectic pacing, glancing at her. One fist only. We had you you know? He releases a sound that isn't even close to a laugh. We had you. You were right there. We could have walked out. Him, kid, wasn't worth it. You know what happened to him, huh? He stops, bends, inches from her face, and she tilts her head back and stares up at him as he hisses at her. He didn't even fucking live, Beth. He was Walker Chow. His place all torn up, family dead, then he was dead, and you're gonna tell me you were worth his sorry ass? Kid wasn't good for nothing. Now it is a sneer, contempt roiling through the sick pit of his belly, and he doesn't even know who it's directed toward. could be anyone, anything, everything, the whole fucking universe, which consists of this house and him and her and the storm outside. Another sharp, thin sound, the bones of laughter, because this is all so horrifically true and he's been waiting to say it for so fucking long. Fuck, you know what? You let him stay there, he'd probably still be alive right now. He's trying to hurt her. He doesn't care if she's hurt, but he's also trying to hurt her, and he's back in the shack with her, her looking at him like that as he shouted every cruel thing he could think of at her, trying to make her cry, trying to hit her with his words, if not with his fists, and she refused to be beaten back and it only threw him into new and hysterical heights of rage. He shoves away from her, turns, walks a few steps, stops, and there's the needles and the drugs and the gun on the table thrown into hard relief as lightning stabs into the shoulders of the world and makes it bleed rain. He could do it. He could end this. He still can. He whirls, snarling again, pain singing in his head and nausea shaking him and he's so fucking angry he could kill her. Fucking kill her. Because there was no point to any of this. None. It was all for nothing. And he should have crawled into that car with her and curled around her and stayed. And he should have put a knife through her skull just to make sure. I tried and we had you. All you had to do was stay. All you had to do. All I had to do, grab you and pull you back, and I didn't. I didn't. I knew it was wrong. It was all going wrong, and I could have stopped it, and I didn't. What the fuck was that? Scissors? You fucking kidding me? What the fuck were you thinking? You looking to get yourself killed? Good job, right? Great fucking plan. Her face, her beautiful scarred face, tipped up to his, and he lunges at her, centimeters away from her, body following directives of its own, all sourced from that infected wound and all just as mad as she is. He doesn't remember what it feels like to be sane, and now he never will. All you had to do was stay. Just stay there and keep your fucking mouth shut, you stupid fucking bitch! The world slows. Stops grays out, falls utterly silent. It's him and it's her, and he's towering over her, bent as if he's going to kiss her, teeth bared like he means to bite her lips off, fist pulled back and ready to smash into her face. He can feel the crunch of her cheekbone shattering. For a split second of that endless frozen moment, he's sure he's done it. But when everything winds back into motion, she's just sitting there, and his fist is still raised, teeth still bared, lightning crashing outside and nearly constant, her skin brilliant and bone white, and her eyes shining. Shining. Overflowing, trickling down that cheek he meant to break. He crumples, steps back, almost falls, shakes his head, shakes everything. He feels a sting like a hundred needles in his scalp and realizes he's raked his hand into his hair and he's pulling at it, yanking, releasing it, and stumbling again, whimpering before her. And she's still staring at him, crying silently. And he made her do it. He made her cry again, hurt her. And it's all he can do and all he ever does. He was never going to save her. He can't save anyone. We don't get to save people anymore. I'm sorry. He almost whispers, but the words don't come. Nothing comes. He's standing there, left arm hanging useless and his other trembling so hard it might as well be. And it's taking all his last reserves of self-control to keep from doubling over, retching, vomiting bile onto the floor. I'm sorry. And he's useless. He's worthless. Everything he touches turns to shit and falls to ruin. And everything he tries to do goes down in flames. And I'm sorry, but the worst part of it is that he's not sure he is. Not sure he wants to take any of it back. He closes his eyes. He doesn't know how long. He closes his eyes and he breathes, and gradually the nausea eases, though it doesn't vanish. Gradually the room finds that stillness again, beneath the all pervasive thrum of the hail, and he stops shaking. His blood cools, slows, begins to form the intricate crystals into which it cast itself hours ago. The rage is a distant wind. It's as useless as he is. There's no point in that either, no point in feeling it, no point in expending the energy. Might as well let it all go. He opens his eyes and she's still crying, tears dripping from her chin, her nose, wetting her lips, and her clear gaze is locked on him and it doesn't waver. Not once. So he goes to her. He crouches. He lifts his hand, frames the side of her face, pulls her in and tugs her down to meet him and with exquisite care he wipes her tears away with his thumb, kisses the tracks they've made, kisses her mouth, traces those scars, each one. Soft. He has to be soft now. He has to be gentle with her. She's shivering. Hardly at all, but she is, the slightest vibration under her skin and the core of her muscles. He cups her jaw with his palm and leans his forehead against hers, and he breathes. She still smells like that soap. It's like water closing over his head. No. Not the gun. Not the drugs. Not a knife. It could never be those things. It could only ever be one thing, and one thing alone. He carried her in his first dream here. He carried her in his arms, and even if he can't do that now, he still will, somehow. He'll lift her, and hold her, and carry her. One last time. We come out of this together, he murmurs, or I will take us both over the edge. I will. Don't fucking think I won't. I got nothing left to lose. His knife is on his belt. He draws it and raises it, presses the edge of the blade to her wrist, and cuts the ropes. Does the same to her ankles. Gets up. He drops the knife at her feet. She's looking at him again, not crying anymore. He has no idea what he's seeing on her face and her eyes. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. You're right, he says softly. I'm dead. I died when you left me. He walks away from her. He doesn't look back. Chapter 11. Let me off this boat. I'm sick of this ride. He tilts his head back, opens his mouth, and the rain tastes like copper. Out on the deck, the world is breaking apart. The thunder cracks the mountains. The lightning doesn't stop, refuses to stop even for a second, and the wind screams around him, slams into him, grabs his clothes and his hair, and yanks at him. Rake's hail claws across his face, shoots him with tiny bullets. Trees rocking back and forth, whipped like they're buffeted by constant colliding shockwaves. He stands there, hand against the railing, and he closes his eyes and lets it happen. He won't go back in. He's done doing things. He's done trying. He's making it simple for himself, for her, like holding her body in that hallway feeling himself dying with her, knowing that there weren't any more questions to ask and nothing more to do. Nothing that mattered. She complicated his life so much, made him believe, made him want to have faith, hope that there were good people and not everyone had to die, that sometimes good things do happen, that it might be all right, but everything might still be all right. She fucked him up, and then she was gone. It was supposed to be over, then. Now he stands here, and he knows he started bleeding again, dripping black onto the deck and into the rain, and he was an idiot. It's never over. Things like this don't just end. They don't just let you go. Not until they've bled you dry. Not until they've taken everything. He was ready to give her everything. He still is. He grips the railing, grips it so hard his arm shakes, vibrates through him and into the one she's apparently destroyed. The lightning cuts down across the stone and strikes a tree below, and suddenly it's all fire, plumes of flame that refuse to be killed by the torrent. It's beautiful, color scorching its way into a world robbed of everything but black and white and pitiless gray, and he watches it burn with fascination that shivers electric through his core. They made a fire, him and her, together. They made a fire, and it was good. For the first time in such a long time, he felt good. And it was one of the last times, too, and he had no idea. Should have, though. She made him believe, yes. She made him stupid. The fire burns. He stares at it until it's seared itself into his retinas, until when he looks away, it's all he can see. He could go back inside after all, get her, assuming she hasn't used the knife on herself, And bring her out here and show her the fire. Curl his good arm around her and watch it with her. And then he could do what he said he was going to do and take them both over the edge. Because who the fuck is he kidding? They're not coming out of this together. They're not coming out of it at all. He doesn't know why he's even still here. Because you can't stop. Him and her over the edge. The last of her pretty things. Everything else down there, the shattered glass, the books, the deer, probably not much more than hide and bones now, and the things he brought her. Those pretty little things, special things that had no reason for existing but to be beautiful, that were supposed to bring her back to him. He looks down at the cliff face, the trees, the rocks all lit in white strobe, the fire winking in and out. His vision is clearing, and beneath him, seething through the woods, along the road, up the slopes, and among the rocks like an oncoming flood, pale and steady as an army of ghosts shedding strings of flesh and hair and skin, hundreds upon hundreds of walkers, perhaps thousands, all coming for them, coming up to them, coming to her. Flicker crack and they're gone. Then there again. It doesn't matter if they're real or not. They're real enough. They're real in every way that counts. He turns away, half slides and half falls down to sit on the soaked wood. He's drenched beyond the possibility of getting any wetter. He's in so much pain he can't even feel it anymore. He's lost everything, lost her, and only now does he finally understand. He closes his eyes. He really should go. Deal with both of them. But he's waiting for something. Knows what it is. Here what it might be. He gets up, he goes back inside. His knife is at her feet and she hasn't moved. She's sitting there and staring at nothing until she's staring at him, expression still unreadable, there, but in no way he has any hope of ever understanding. Nowhere he could ever find her. He crouches by the coffee table and picks up a syringe, a bottle. Pierces the top, fills it, goes to her and pulls her close. And she doesn't struggle when he slides the needle into her neck. He holds her for a few seconds, and he's sure he feels her loosening, leaning against him, her breath easing. He lays her back, and he does it again. And again, until the last bottle is empty. And he sets the syringe down and sets himself down, lies down next to her and buries his face in her hair. And it's like it should have been, like the car like that mass of walkers coming up to greet them, and he waits with his hand against her chest, feeling the rhythm it contains, slow and slow, until he doesn't feel anything at all anymore. He keeps holding her until he drifts away. Sleeps. He wakes up to her teeth ripping into his throat. And that's fine. Also, it could be this. He gets up. He goes back inside. His knife is at her feet, and she hasn't moved. She's sitting there and staring at nothing until she's staring at him, expression still unreadable, there but in no way he has any hope of ever understanding. Nowhere he could ever find her. He bends and picks up the gun and goes to her, crouches and leans in, and she doesn't pull away when he presses his lips to the starburst scar in her brow. It's good that it's there, not that he needs a target. But this also feels right, like it's a place made and laid out for him, and he sets the muzzle of the gun against it and squeezes the trigger and paints the back of the sofa with her brain. And he lowers himself to the floor, lays his head in her lap, and the muzzle against his temple, and follows her. And this is possible. He gets up. He goes back inside. His knife is at her feet and she hasn't moved. She's sitting there and staring at nothing until she's staring at him, expression still unreadable. There, but in no way he has any hope of ever understanding. Nowhere he could ever find her. He bends and picks up the knife and settles himself on the sofa beside her and presses her back so she's resting, so she's comfortable. And he cuts her throat in one smooth move, and with arterial spray there's a good bit more than a few drops of her blood on his mouth. And then there's the gun. Then, too. All of this. He gets up. He goes back inside. His knife is at her feet and she hasn't moved. She's sitting there and staring at nothing until she's staring at him, expression still unreadable. There, but in no way he has any hope of ever understanding. Nowhere he could ever find her. He falls on her rips her clothes off her, rips them to shreds, shoves her back and holds her down and plunges into her and fucks her until she's screaming, until he is, fucks her cunt raw and bloody, fucks her and presents his neck to her and keeps fucking her as she tears his throat out with her teeth, tears her throat out before she can, eats her alive, jams the gun against her head, jams it into her mouth, squeezes the trigger, gives it to her and she does it to him, the knife slashing her open any number of ways, being slashed, gutted, Needles falling asleep inside each other, floating away on a sea of their mingling blood as the world shatters into red and black and the house burns to the fucking ground. And going to her, finding the strength to move his arm, to use it, to lift her and hold her against him, to carry her out the front door into the rain and around and down to the edge, to kiss her so softly, so carefully, to hold her so tight, as he takes them both into the air. Maybe they fall. Maybe they don't. Maybe they fly away. Curled in the strobing dark, screaming his throat into bloody cracks, slamming his head against the wood, howling at the rain, doubling over and hugging himself, even with his ruined arm, retching, dry heaving. He would have done anything. He would have done anything to save her. "'He would have died for her a thousand times. "'She was everything, everything, "'and she was taken away from him "'and he would have endured any torture to get her back. "'If he could have suffered enough to make it happen, "'he would have.' But he's suffering now, and it's not doing anything. It's not fixing anything. It's not better. And she's suffering too, and she isn't coming back. Isn't ever coming back. That girl in there is a shell and always was, and now in his mind he's killing her over and over, killing them both. And he doesn't know when he got so fucking sick, except maybe he became that way the same moment the bullet burst her skull open. Maybe that was what did it. Broke him just like it broke her. And he can't come back either. They don't get to come back. Both of them are too far gone, and he did it. It's his fault. It's her fault. They're destroying each other, throwing each other over the edge again and again and again, and he can't make it stop. Can't ever make it stop. Can't work up the courage to do what he knows he has to do. The only thing left to do. He's a worthless fucking coward, and when she was whole, she deserved better, and even now she deserves so much better than this. Than him. This is not how it was supposed to be. I'll try again tomorrow. And tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and it doesn't end it doesn't ever end because they're dead and this is hell i'm sorry he is he won't take it back any of it he meant every fucking word but he is so so sorry i'm sorry beth i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't want this not like this i didn't want it i swear i didn't mean to i didn't i didn't i swear i didn't mean to do it It wasn't supposed to be like this. It was supposed to be better. It was supposed to be better now. Anything. Anything to make it better. Anything in the fucking world. But all you had to do was stay. Stay there and keep your fucking mouth shut. And I died when you left me. I ain't leaving you. I ain't never gonna do that. This is the only place we can be. You're safe, Beth. You're safe up here. You're safe with me. Hands. Small, soft and warm on his face, in his hair. Cringing back, shrinking, pressing forward on his knees. Curling against it, shaking, hurting so much. He doesn't want to be alone anymore. If she has the knife, if she's going to find a way, it's still better than being alone arms circling and folding him. She was always so strong. She pulls him close, and it bursts his shoulder and arm into screeching pain, but he doesn't care. He collapses against her, slumped with his head on her breast, clinging and sobbing and trembling everywhere. She's here, and he doesn't care in what capacity, how much of her, what she's like, what she intends to do with him and with herself. He doesn't want to stop her. He's so tired. He just wants it to be over. She's rocking him. She's rocking him in her arms and whispering to him, lips against his temple, his torn cheek, his twisted mouth. He can't make out what she's saying, but he doesn't need to. Her voice was always like music. It was always so sweet. It's sweet now. He can hear it, listen to it, drift in its flow while she kills him, and it's all right but she's not killing him. She's just holding him, stroking his hair, and the pain is subsiding to a dull pounding. He's soaking wet and cold, but she's warm, and she's wrapping herself around him, somehow bigger than him, and somehow he's so small. It's not raining anymore. It's not dark. Out across the peaks and ridges, the sun is lifting itself into a flush sky. He blinks into the light. And suddenly, he understands what she's saying. It's alright. I'm here. I'm here, Daryl. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you again. I promise I'm not. I love you. I love you, and I'm not gonna leave you. You're safe now. You're safe with me. you enjoyed that I really enjoyed reading it I I when I first started doing these readings and I started really getting into emotional kind of yelly readings it was kind of like when I was doing some readings like I was, I was sort of a little a little reticent maybe a little embarrassed uh, but then I just really get into it like I really enjoy the rapid fire delivery of of these kinds of I mean, the, 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 a lot of the parts of what I just read, um, there's a rhythm to it that I find really satisfying. It's almost like poetry. Uh, a lot of my pro work kind of follows that um, pattern as well. So yeah, it was really fun. Uh, I, I mean, I just I just want to say a word real quick about when, Beth, when, when Daryl was screaming at Beth. Writing that bit, when I first started writing this fic, I think very early on I knew that that scene was going to happen. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to do that scene uh, a lot of people who read it said that that scene was really cathartic for them. And it was cathartic for me too, because Daryl really does 100% mean all of that. He it's, it's not one of those things where he'll say, like, I'm sorry after and take it back. He is sorry in the sense that he regrets that it happened, but he wouldn't take it back because he 100% means it. He really is fucking angry at her. And that is anger. I was I was really very much speaking through Daryl at that point. That was anger I was feeling because, I mean, I'm I'm assuming Beth really is dead. I'm, I'm quite angry at the writers for doing it the way they did. It was stupid. It was really bad writing. It was really unfair um, and unjust to her character. It was very disrespectful how it happened. But also, uh, like, I'm angry at Beth, and I've I've talked a lot about specifically about people who blame Daryl for Glenn's death about how that's fucking stupid because a it's it's a severe misreading of Daryl's character to be like Daryl you're so stupid and selfish and dumb and uh, yeah, that's it's just like, that's a really, really uh, unforgivable mis- unforgivable misreading of what, what Daryl was going through in that moment. But also, you know, I like, just kind of like writers, he's not like an autonomous real person. Writers like made that happen. So be angry at the writers. But at the same time, we relate to these characters like human beings. We, they feel real to us. And I've been, I've, I'm mad at Beth. Like that was a stupid fucking thing she did. It's one of the reasons why it was so out of character. It was, it was, it was such a stupid stupid decision that led to her dying. It was so dumb. It was so ill-advised and so bad and everything about it was so poorly executed. And I, I'm pissed. Like, what the fuck was with the scissors? Nothing about that made sense or was smart. And just, yeah, just all of the rage that I felt regarding everything in that scene just came out in Daryl's voice at that moment. And I mean, that, that chapter, whole chapter was hard to write. There was a lot of really ugly imagery and stuff in there and, and a lot of really horrific things. But also when I was writing that scene, it just flowed very easily because I was 100% feeling everything in it. And it, it you know, in a horrible way, it felt good to write. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the horrible stuff is, is over as, as you can probably tell from the end of the chapter or you probably already know if you read the fic. And uh, next episode is is where things um, start start swinging back up again. Um, I'll talk more about why I did things that way and about what's going on with that uh, when I do that episode. But yeah, it's um, this is one of my favorite fics that I've written. It's it's probably my third favorite in the fandom. Um, everything Where It Belongs and I'll Be Yours for a Song taking top billing. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been super fun to read. Um, gonna be sad when it's over because I like reading it, but I'm looking forward to getting to the end of it. Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, Thanks so much for listening again. Your support means so, so much to me. Yeah, and I intend to keep this going, so I'll hopefully speak to you soon. Bye.